werewolf co-host <laughs> matt you're not actually a werewolf though are you you just like werewolf a lot you will never know until it's never... too late right until it's too late is there something i should worry about matt oh not until the next full moon I'm... okay uh we should be joined by james if he works out his technical issues and we have as our guest for this bonus episode we have tia who um Hello, you basically took part yeah. at the End of Line Vampire LARP event that was run by White Wolf Publishing. Oh, yes, I did. So, yes, thank you for coming on the show, because it will be very interesting for our listeners who are maybe less uh, um, less knowledgeable about Nordic LARP or haven't taken part in it in Nordic LARPs or want to take part in them in the future, and, of course, to find out more about what that vampire event was like. So... Just quickly, because we always do this on shows. Matt, you done any gaming recently? Well, I got my new computer set up, and my friend got me Fallout 4, so I've been doing that the past couple Okay, cool. Um, as I said on the previous episode, nothing, well, because we only just recorded that, uh, all I've been doing is uh, doing some wargaming uh, in a journeyman league for War Machine and Hordes using my Scorn army. Uh, and I'm thinking of trying to get together uh, a a roleplay group to play um, Geist. It's finally sunk in. I want to run Geist. That is the next one to run. Uh, just finding players that you want to, you know, actually trust to invite into your house and play a game. Tia, you're obviously back from a number of different LARP events. Um, so, what have you been up to LARPing-wise, other than end of line? Oh, I lost. <laughs> well, I started in the early 2000s, so the list is quite long. <laughs> So what's, that. so what's the most recent one? You said you were on a cruise ship, was that right? That was the no, Solmukohta uh, 2016, the Nordic live role-playing conference that oh, okay. is held every year in different Nordic countries. And it was in Finland this time, and it was on a cruise ship. So that was right at the end of line, LARP. So you get to see all the players still there. And, and yeah, and got sick, of course, because you need to have the plague from the conference. Okay. Yeah. That, that is the sort of a place where the Nordic LARPing scene is very, very sort of central in this sort of this conference, exactly. So I think we'll just head on straight into the interview. Topics of highbrow storytelling. So, Tia, if you want to start off, um, how did you ex- how did you get started in uh, LARPing in the first place, and and just run us through what that was like and. And then we can go into each of like the, the games that you participated in. Uh, so then we've got at least a baseline to compare what this more recent vampire LARP was like. Well, I think I have a very traditional story in the way that I started with going to the forest with my friends to play to play little games that we probably didn't even know we were LARPing. So I think um, the first one was that was you know yeah it was the forest and we came up with the characters and I think we were playing Lord of the Rings or something like this and. I was playing the finger of Sauron, 
Okay. <laughs> I didn't have a body, and I was just being, you know, making myself present to the characters. So I don't know, was that already very Nordic LARPing at the moment, so there was no fights or anything. But it was very simple. And then my friend found out about a historical reenactment LARPing group, and they had this every Monday, these very short few-hour games, mini-games. And we started going there, and, and it sort of just evolved into LARPing. It was very natural. Okay. Very when you say historical um, LARP, I mean, did it was it focused on a particular time period for that, or did it kind of change per event? Uh, I think they did a lot of different. But it was, if I yeah, I think it was Viking sort of an Viking type of group, which did a lot of that kind of that kind of stuff. So the okay. most many LARPs were about this sort of period of time. And so, does that have an element? Did that have an element of battle reenactment, like you get with when people do battle reenactments of various, you know, like Agincourt or, or um, I'm trying to think of other ones, other battle reenactments. I guess Gettysburg is a classic kind of thing to have battle reenactments of. Well, they the well, the things that I did with them that was sort of a mini was labs with just based on this sort of time period, and we used to. They weren't very action oriented. They were just many very small sort of uh, situations and sort of scenes. And okay. we used real sword, metal sort of sword, no buffers, so there were huge fights going on. Yeah. So it was more it was more trying to replicate the Viking lifestyle, not yeah. the the Viking battles. Okay. Yeah, but I think they they are they're a very uh, big group and a very talented group, and I think they're doing all sort of stuff. But I didn't go into the whole sort of scene, broad scene that the whole sort of society, uh, this group was doing, but it was just a minute how I started with these little ones, and then I got tired of that, and then I sort of wanted to do something else. Okay. Um, so, so following then the historical LARPing, um, you said that you, uh, you, you got started in then uh, vampire-based LARPing, uh, which was closely based on Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles. Yeah. So, so what? How how was that as a as a LARPing experience? What was the how? What was kind of the the main features of of that as a LARPing experience? Well, other than just playing vampires. Well, there was a game that I that me and my friend did when we were very young, and that was the first game that we did. I think we were 16 to 17, so it was very hard to rent a place or anything because we were underage. And we had no experience really running a game, and it failed beautifully. <laughs> and it was very, very sort of a horrible game. But we were just very enthusiastic, and because I love Anarise, so so we just wanted to sort of, you know, be in that world and make a game. And we just really didn't know what we were doing, and we were just trying out. And so that that wasn't very. I mean, we were 16 or 17, so it wasn't like a huge, huge experience. And I think for anyone, <laughs> and I hope nobody remembers that game. But but we did try at big, and we tried to get a lot of. We started like wanted to have like a um, hundred players there, which was ridiculous, a huge number in Finland. But we were sort of like, yeah, we'll get 120 people to this club, and the idea of the game was basically a bit like end of line. So it was a club game. So we tried to make that sort of game, and that was actually the last vampire, vampire lab that I did. So it's mm. funny that the first game I did at the last vampire lab I did was a sort of a club game, and now when I return to those games, a proper vampire club game, like the one that I sort of dreamt when I was a kid of doing, and, and now I got to play that game, how it really should be done. Okay, so then, and then you you have on um, the list of LARPs you took part in the Monitor Celestra in 2013. 
Oh yes. So do you want to explain to us, uh, to our listeners, what that LARP involved? So yeah, it was a uh, LARP based on Belosa Galactica and the moment when they have to flee, basically, just before the sort of the series started and. And we were not in Battlestar Galactica, but we were in the, another ship called Monitor Celestra, which is also in the old old series. You can spot the ship from there, and they actually go, I think, in the older ones, they visit the ship. And uh, so, yeah, it was just those first very hectic moments where we're trying to sort of get away from, and all of your friends and family have just died, and you're realizing that, and now you're on this small ship, and, and things go really, really badly, <laughs> badly down. So... The, what was the was there a particular venue used for that? Was it on an old ship, or was it on, on a uh, was it in some sort of uh, like building which had the right feel to to oh, it? To it's give a it? real ship. It was a real ship. Um, uh, if I remember correctly, now I wouldn't say wrong, but they had rented this system. You know, I don't remember what, but it was a real, real sort of a battleship in yeah. Sweden we went to and uh, we couldn't stay there obviously for the night so we had a hotel or a hostel nearby where we'd go to sleep the night and come back to bay, play during the uh, day and I think that is, is probably the best prop you can have for a sort of a spaceship because it, it looks like that with you know, lights and everything so very very Nordic way of doing the game to have the 360 illusion there that you are all the time in this place I guess and that's friends I guess that's the that that what you just said there is mostly the important thing. It's like it's a a fully as as fully as possible an immersive experience where you are the characters in that situation in that environment. So so the how whatever things were done within that game to help with the immersion to make it seem like you were these. Uh, Colonials uh, escaping from the Cylons. What other things were done to kind of enhance that feeling? Well, I think well, the biggest obviously that was uh, like we talk is the, is that it was a ship and it was a closed place. You couldn't run anywhere. And there was a moment in my game when I actually broke down and cried, and I tried to get away because it was off game. Really, I wanted to be alone for a while, and I couldn't find a place. There was no place. Sort of a you're in a really like a spaceship because you couldn't go anywhere. There's always people somewhere, and you don't break from that. And of course, the costumes. So in this game, you would pay uh, the certain amount of money depending on your costume, also the character group. So the characters would be equally as good. Oh, that's what they tried to achieve completely. And the dress, the clothes that you had, came from the game, and you would pay the price according to that. So everybody looked really, really good in the game because they had those proper sort of costumes on. So everything you see is like it's real, and when you see it and your body feels it, it's just it immerses the best way. So I don't um hmm. but yeah, and okay. then of course they had um they had made all the real electronics, so you could actually you know sh you know shoot those missiles, and there was sound effects coming, and when we were jumping, you would have sound effect, and you had to act you know accordingly, and so it was just full on, full on oh, right. in so you actually had full sound effects and 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 special yeah. effects to to react to as well. Okay. Yeah. So what what was the character you played for for that game? Um, I was a Virgis security personnel. So okay. we were guarding the Virgis big officers. So there was four of us 
and uh, we were part of the few groups would have clearly weapons, so we were sort of security there. And then there was another group of Battlestar Galactica, you know, military group. So we were sort of made to have a little conflict over there. But my character was also uh, sort of an infiltrator. He was just sort of a spy, which made it very, very, very interesting character to sort of actually yeah, be a spy there and how that impacted, you know, everything you, you know, we worked for and now it's all gone because there's no place to go back to. And it's hmm. a very, very good character, one of my fave characters. And especially when they were written uh, gender neutral. So yes. I, that guy who played my character in the first run and we were discussing how we we're going to play it and how we feel. And then after his game, he, you know, we would have a pause and then we would talk after my game a little bit more. And that was really great to sort of, to see that you know both changers could play the same character and it worked out really well for both of us. Um, Matt, you got any questions about the Battlestar Galactica lot? Well, I was just kind of listening to you guys talking and noticing some of the differences between how, like that kind of LARP versus the kind of LARP that I'm more familiar with here in the United States. Well, the thing that I noticed was that you guys, when you're talking about it, is it was almost more like a play. Like you were given a character, you're given motivations. And it's not like you're going to carry that character forward when the game, when the LARP ends, but you're you're wanting to just get in character, play out your motivations, and there's not really any goals besides just seeing where the game takes you, which is a yeah. really different than how the U.S. LARP works. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you're totally right. That's the big thing that we we don't have. You don't sort of have achievements or goals to go, but you, the character and the story. And then you you leave the character in that story, and you see where it, you know it takes you, and how the other characters, how the group develops, and how your contacts develop. And you don't sort of try to do stuff like I have to do this and I have to do this. But no, you just sort of leave it, leave that life sort of for that story. Well, right, because like in an American LARP, the kind of thing is like you have your character, and you bring your character with you. And from week and from week to week or month to month, however, if you're still playing that same character and you've got your motivations. But with these things, they're more like kind of like one shot things where you do a character in a role doing a thing and you do your job and you just get into that role. And then when the game is over, so is the character. There are, you know, games that are around, you know, that have many parts. So it doesn't, that's. That's one way to do it, but of course some games have many sequels and you have to go through many sequels and that you know, so it, it's like this. But yeah, very sort of a very typical Nordic lab would be to have a one story and you go leave that story and you try that out. So, but no, not these sort of um, campaign games. They are a bit different. I would say that it's not very, very traditional Nordic to have a long campaign going on. So, Matt, as you were saying about the differences between them and about uh, the difference between a, a one-shot event and a persistent ongoing storyline and about how you can, whether you're bringing your character from one venue to another or, or to each event versus being cast a character, I think that's interesting to, to point out because I think that's maybe related to how much people like or dislike um, Vampire the Requiem versus Vampire the Masquerade because you know how in the on the one hand you have a meta plot and an ongoing persistent world that's developed book by book and in the other you have a game setting where because of the way it's built and it's a very toolbox you know you pull together what you want so 
a, a player can't just take their character to every different Vampire the Requiem game because it's each one can be quite different. So I think that's actually somehow related between to to from that and to what you're saying about uh, Lark's persistent stories versus uh, one. Sh- so we talked about the Battlestar Galactica laugh. Is there anything else to bring up on that one? It it sounds like a very intense. Sounds like it was a very intense game, which yeah. I think. To, to represent the, the the chaos and carnage of the colonials fleeing um, the attacking uh, Cylons, um, to get that across is quite important. So moving on, and I think this is a, a quite important LARP to talk about, given how it seems to be the core part of the inspiration for where White Wolf is going. Um, let's talk about then the College of Wizardry LARP. Um, so is it fair to say that they are heavily inspired by the Harry Potter book? Uh, yes, the first two uh, the first two or three, I'm not sure how many, were basically Harry Potter games. They were made to, you know, the, from the Harry Potter lore, but then they, you know, Warner Bros, I think they contacted Warner Bros and they told, no, you can't do this and you have to, you know, you can't make the trademark anymore. So they had to change the whole lore to sort of... Um, be Harry Potter-ish. But the first games, yeah, they were Harry Potter labs completely. So, I mean, I, I guess and the things that have changed is just to obviously extract, and I think that is noticeably Harry Potter and and still keep the theme and the idea. So do you want to just, again, much like you were saying about the Battlestar Galactica, do you want to just run us through what the core um, experience of that LARP was and what your character was in each in each one that you took part in? Yeah, so the main idea was that we would play a lab set in Harry Potter universe set on present day. So we were, you know, playing in a school in Poland in Shoha and we were, you know, students coming from all over the world to this particular magical school. And at the moment, I think when I played Harry Potter was, you know, the Auron Ministry. So they would be, you know, older as they would, you know, so we weren't playing any scenes from the books or any events from the books. They were just sort of the lore of the world where we were at. And um, I played, like, there's actually in this game, the characters were very, very short and we had a lot of freedom to work on them and create our own contacts and what we wanted to do with them. So I played a character that was British who had went to Hogwarts and was sort of a family that had suffered from after the fall of Lord Voldemort so that her family was one of these rich, you know, families and they had been sort of persecuted, you know, after Harry Potter took over the Aura Ministry and all that. So it was just a very interesting conflict of sort of which is right and being sort of not experiencing those things in books and movies are. And uh, yeah, yeah. So and then basically, us players created a lot of the game. So there was the lore and the lore of that school, and it was a bit different, of course, because we were not in Hogwarts. We were in a Polish magic school. Okay. Um. So again, for the to get that kind of immersive experience. So um, what was the location used for the for the for the game? Was it in a kind of Again, a kind of a, a location that was kind of like a castle or some historical yeah. building like that. It was an old, old Polish castle. Absolutely. Okay. In a okay, I cannot say Polish words, so I cannot say where in Poland. Yeah. Very, very beautiful old castle, and it was also a hotel. So we would stay there in the night in these very good hotel rooms. 
and during days we would go and pretend to take out classes and hang out with our school friends and do the basically same stuff as you would do in. And we were a bit older, so we were sort of, um, I think, like a college, so yeah, it's College of Wizardry, so we were a bit older also, so we had different things and more grown-up stuff maybe. Yeah. But yeah, it was, a, it was amazing and you would, you would sort of, uh, the last day I would wake up in my character because I had no idea what's happening because we were in-game during in our rooms also, so you would play 24 hours, you know, all through the day, so mm -hmm. you wouldn't break a character at all. But yeah, it's very immersive as well. Then I think the I think possibly the most interesting question to ask about this is mostly the most relevant to other things for World of Darkness LARPs. How how were spells and magic then expressed within that LARP game? Uh, because I'm sure there's, there's there's clearly a certain limitation on what things you can enact or or do with your characters. So how did that exactly work? So we had, before the game, the organizers sent us sort of short video how they would present how it would be done. So we would sort of see how it's going to be done. And before the game, we had a workshop. So basically how it worked that we would learn as much as maybe we want to learn the spells. So we would use the real spells that's in the lore. And, and you could sort of learn as many as you want them. And then you would just... Uh, I, I very, it's just very simple because I think very Nordic LARPing way to do is have as less mechanics as you can have. Very simple. So you would just point at the wand and you would say the spell and the others would act to it. And sometimes, of course, the other one person might not know what the spell is. So, you know, it was the person who is being casted with the spell had to sort of make the decision of how they will react to that. So it's always the, the person who will be sort of casting or making your move at be decide what the in impact would be. And it did work. I was in a dueling club, my character, so I had to go do the dueling thing mm. there. And uh, I actually, I, I, was, <laughs> I was so nervous about that, so I forget all the spells that I had learned because I didn't know them beforehand. And I forget them, so I thought that, okay, well, I'm an also an older student, and there was a person who is... Um, who was acting a junior, like a very young person. So I thought that, okay, I'm going to lose to that guy. I don't have to go on doing this dueling. So I lost to the junior, which was very good because I was supposed to be a very, very good at dueling. And it's <laughs> very nice to lose, lose that person. But also because the players would continue doing it as much as they can remember the spells and or come up with new innovative spells. So no huge mechanism there, just playing it out. Okay. Um, hmm. Does it make any sense to you? Like, it, no, it, it it does make sense because I mean, I was going to say there's there's um, I mean that's again I guess a feature of what I've read of end of line with how disciplines worked in that. It it's very much a, a contract then between you and your opponent, the target, whoever, to agree on what the to kind of agree in the in in that very moment of of the actual emerging story of what the result is. It's not relying on any dice or or rock, paper, scissors. It's essentially a, a a joint decision on the spur of the moment of what is best for the plot at that at that moment. And in some respects that's very much more like how online role play uh, 
in in forums or in any way role play which is completely diceless and has no resolution mechanic it, it's simply a, a contract between between the players on how they want the story to progress um that, does that sound that fair is- yeah, we, that is very sort of naughty. We don't do dice. And I think the first time I heard someone explaining that they use dice in live-action role-playing, I was like, why? Why would you do that? But that is, yeah, no, 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 you don't, you don't, but you don't need those in a way. And I think, I think that is a very, yeah, it's a very, very naughty. Have less, less as mechanic as you can. And, and I guess that's, that's useful because, again, I would say, based upon your, do you get with your characters with their spells? Is there, do some characters almost have, you know, it's accepted that in the design of the characters you're given that your character is has a certain competency. So, like, if you do a spell that's like versus someone else, that yours will always work versus theirs. If they try to stop it, then they can't. You know, again, there's that level of your character that you've been given is competent at certain things. So. They will generally do well if you yeah. choose to do something. Yeah, yeah. You act on sort of with your confidence. So if you really want to show someone like I'm very good at this, you will pull the most confident move you can. And then if you and, and yeah, yeah. So but that is again something that you have to sort of trust the co-players with to understand and read you and yeah. And in a big game, I would say it's a very difficult mechanic because you know you have a lot of people coming from different playing style and. And some people, you know, don't because I think in the first few parts of Wizardries, people really wanted to win the duels. Yes, <laughs> yes. To be the best, so they would just ignore this because they. Some people then would agree beforehand who wanna who wants to win and what kind of you know drama we want to do. But I think that was sort of a the first as the first game was like oh you know it was real competition out there. Yeah. I'm really enjoying it. Um, one thing. One thing. Um. <laughs> It's a common theme in vampire stories is one of like mental domination and stuff. How do you handle that sort of thing in Nordic LARPing? What do you the like, like give me an ex- like when, like a vampire looking into someone's eyes and forcing and bending them to their will. Like in mm-hmm. old Vampire the Masquerade there was the dominate discipline where you could force mm-hmm. other players to do what you wanted them to do. So yeah, I uh actually in my character in the end of line I had dominate Everson Venture, so I had, you know, fortitude and dominate and uh, I was the only venture, so I had a lot of power, obviously, because I used <laughs> these things. But the thing is that before the game, I was briefed very well how to use it, and I was told that don't use it to make your, you know, game progress better. Don't use it to achieve your goals in game, but use it to sort of piss off people. So if I would use my dominate, I would just sort of, you know, tell people to, you know, get the hell out of here. I would sort of use it in this way, and the game mechanism in the end of line was to put your hand around near somebody's neck and you would say, you know, you really, really need to leave right now. So people always would know when you say, you really, really need to do something. That was somebody using their power. And then if you have a very, very, you know, high power as, as dominates, then, you know, this, this is something that, you know, organizers brief you that don't use it in these things, use it in these things. And it's not, you know, made for you to win the game as is. That's that's one way sort of to do it, but in a, like college of wizardry setting, there is no one except sort of maybe professors that will always win the duel sort of thing unless agreed otherwise. So you would always know like professors or you know they would win if you fight them. So there was hmm. this sort of, always sort of a, that you would know. Matt, you got any follow up on that? Because I think it's a it's an interesting question because I I think in both uh, uh you know spells and wizardry setting and I'd say in vampire and perhaps if they do. 
uh, mage in future. You know, the the uh, how you deal with mind control and how that's played out is is seems I, I guess initially could seem problematic, but I guess I guess as as Tim <coughs> mentioned, there's there's quite within the character document you're given an outline of how that power should be used in the game. And as I say, it's it almost seems like you as I say, use it to piss people off. It it feels very much like play event true who just says it on a whim. You're not using it to 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 win. You're using it just to as an extension of your aloofness almost. Um to create game, sort of to yeah. create because there's characters that can't do anything about me. So I will just sort of you know, it's it's to create better drama in a way because it's you know the games are not uh, sort of at, you know goal oriented. You don't need to do fill out this task. And especially in, in the blind, we were told that you know there is no sort of you know you 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 will not get to any kind of goal in this game. So there will be no sort of thing you need to achieve. Just go there and you leave that game. So so yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it just seems like one of those things where, like, in the wrong hands, it could be abused. If someone wanted to, they could just kind of go around dominate, literally dominating the game. If Well, that, I think Nordic Lapis already, most people, I think, because we're used to this kind of game, so it's not as big problem, you know, for people who have been playing. And then, of course, when you give our characters, you sort of, I think there is casting things sometimes. You cast people, maybe you think, who can do sort of stuff. You, there we have workshops, so before the game we will tell people, you don't do this and you do this, so people, you know and then of course you can have an idiot in a game, you never know, somebody might go rogue in the game and just ignore all the rules, that happens, but you have to trust the players, Yeah. and then you don't for example, I was the only one with these skills, you know, we dominate or sort of, and other people had different kind of skills, so you don't give that, you don't make the power play there is in, in that sense it's not a sort of People, you know, fighting who has, who's the biggest one in the power, who has the most power. I think Matt, this relates also to the the idea of one shot events and continuous events. Is that because your character is cast just for that event? You know, the the win condition is the win condition. I'll say, I'll, I'll call it a win condition. Is clearly the event being good. It's not your character persisting and gaining XP and moving on to the next event. And the next event, and the next one, and gaining more powers because that's not going to happen. That isn't the outcome of this game, and it's not going to lead to anything like that. You need think, to do that. I think, you have a need to do that because you're not going anywhere with the character again. Yeah. So by taking those out of the game, taking those things out of the game, I think it already pre possibly helps preset players for a different experience. Would you say that seems right, Matt? Do you think that helps with that? Yeah, I mean, like, I think that kind of thing is where you have those kinds of powers where you can literally force the game to revolve around yourself. Making the game into a one-shot limits their kind their impact because there's no real goal to kind of create a powerful position for yourself in the future and more of a incentive to, one, play out your character, and two, just do it to, well, be kind of a temporal jerk, like, you know, get out of my face, give me that can of, like, I want that can of pop, give me that can of pop, <laughs> do things like that, just be a jerk. It adds, it, it changes it to being, rather than a, a thing for power play, it turns it into a thing of flavor, you know, it adds a little bit right. more spice to the ongoing, uh, to the argument that might be going on, or, or, uh, 
or the friendship you turn into uh, into hatred between two characters because you tell one of them to you know insult the other or things like that. Um, I think the other thing what it, it it's clear is that that Nordic LARP has it at its heart is I guess what you hear Eddie Webb always do um, talks about for for vampire LARP. Uh, for the U.S. kind of laughing is this whole thing of play to lose. You know, you are you are looking to do the things which, while it may be of no benefit to your character and is in some respects a hindrance to your character, in if there is some goal that you're trying to achieve, but it it adds to it may actually help a character and help drive a drama or cause a, uh, something a drama to emerge out of that, you know, pot of chaos that's bubbling away from the players. Um, because if you have nothing else nothing else to to mediate win and lose and all that other stuff, it's all just about giving and taking. And if all you're doing in the game is just take, 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 it's like, well, at some point, in or even in a one-shot event like that, people are not going to then want to interact with you. And I'm sure naturally, socially, that will already begin to limit or hinder people that go a bit rogue. I think it's funny that play to lose was sort of a mantra at some point that you would hear in every Nordic club, and now you're not hearing it anymore that much. It's sort of changing a little. That's a very Nordic club thing is to do that. Nordic club is ever you know evolving and be, being developed all the time. It's not one thing that's always the same. And play to lose is sort of a um, uh, I think it's more turning into a, you know, we try to let's play together in a way. Yeah. So that play to lose is sort of a, I think it's something that you can say to a person who is always aiming to win. So you can say, that, what about if you want, you know, you don't do that thing, you know, off game as best as you can, but you try failing and see what kind of scene happens then. What kind of, when people get angry to you and you, they drag you to new situations and you get a whole lot of, different kind of play from that and maybe you fail somebody in game you care about and you create huge drama from that so that's sort of playing to lose so just fail sometimes and don't always be good because that can bring out you know totally different kind of things but the core idea I think is sort of we play together so you just you don't play only to yourself because it's more fun to sort of create scenes for the other player and you know yeah I think so that it's sort of a, I feel like it's tilting from playing to lose sort of playing together a bit like Nowadays, but I think still in compared to American, yeah, it's I think there is I don't know is it playing to win, but but if you sort of look at the contrast, it's totally there that we are playing mm. to lose. You know, many are saying they're not. They you know I have friends who say I, I'm not playing to lose, and I'm saying you totally are. You're always messing up your games. You always are. You are playing to lose. In this okay, um, so let's move on to. Uh, we'll talk about another uh, LARP you took part in, which I think visually look quite stunning as well. So this is the Legion Siberian story, which is a a, uh, a LARP set during the Russian Revolution during World War One. Uh, it's set in Siberia, uh, and this was held in uh, Czechoslovakia. Is it Czech or, or something? Yeah. Yeah, that's. I, I don't think I can say it's a Nordic LARP. It's a Czech Republic LARP, but it has yeah. a very very I don't know if they, you know, talked about it as Nordic Lab, but they had a lot of similarities uh, how the game was run as to sort of Nordic Lab and, and some things that were very close to Finnish type of Lab because Finnish every country has a bit of their own thing also. But yeah, that was a very, very definitely one of my best games so ever. 
yeah, if you want to just run us through um, what the, the the story of that lot was and, and how your character fitted into Oh, so we were basically this sort of um, legendary legion that were going through and trying to sort of... Um, <coughs> sorry. So we were sort of uh, fleeing from basically everybody and we were sort of being hunted there. We have to sort of go through go through Russia and try to get to, um, to a destination. Uh, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> sorry, I'm going to have a little coughing moment. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll edit it out. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, so we we played uh, the soldiers of the Czechoslovak uh, Legion, and then there was Red Cross nurses, and there was civilians, and uh, and basically it was a marching game that we were trying to trying to march to a destination, and then being attacked from basically all all sort of fronts, as you could say. So everybody was basically after us, and it was a very historical game, and there was a lot of real references to real events, and uh, and uh, I played uh, Alena Svobodova, who was a uh, female in military, and uh, I actually won't tell too much about that character because that game has a lot of secrecy, and people might listen to this when I go into the game. So um, the, it, so yes, <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it too much, but it was. Uh, it was very, very interesting to play a character with in a game that uh, it was not sort of a it was not a good thing to it was not easy to play a woman in the military there so so that that was part of the game that this you know gender played a big role, role also. How did they, um out of interest how did they how did they simulate the the attacks Did you just have some uh, an organizer just like tap you on the shoulder and say you were you were shot, or was it up to the players to decide when they were taken out? This, no, this was as immersive as it gets. <laughs> so there was um, blank firing guns that were okay. used, and we had workshops before the game how to use. We would put these blank, you know, bullets in our weapons. So we had soldiers have rifles and officers had pistols, and uh, there was real smoke and smell, and you know, so that. When somebody was shooting with you those with those guns, you would know and you would shoot back. So that was that was really really and one of the most awesome things there. To actually use this, I've never used this kind of weapons that actually blank. Okay. So they were they were really really cool and. So that that it, that does make it more of a a bridge between LARP and battle reenactment, I guess then. But it was in, in no way sort of a reenactment. Uh, there was it was very railroaded game, so we had diaries, so. Uh, we had pitch points of, you know, places where we would rest because we were walking the whole time. So we would read these diaries that would tell how the game was going. It would tell us characters what to do and maybe I should talk to this person. And it would also show uh, if in the next battle how what kind of how we would get wounded. So there was these numbers. Oh, okay. You would know if we would if you end up you know in a firefight. So you would know how badly you would get wounded and it was sort of controlled in this way. And yeah, yeah, I think it worked. It worked very well, also. The railroaded, but not, it still gives you sort of freedom, and it's a very, very popular game. I mean, it's now run ten times there. Oh wow! Okay. Two internationals, I think, next year. So, and I'm even thinking of going there again because I was again very sick when the game was, and I hardly remember anything from the from the game. But it's a game that you actually can play a few times, even there's secrecy because there's sort of so many. You know, things to explore. The game is always different, so it was very, very different from any other game I've played. And it was very interesting to go to Czech Republic and have a game like this. Like, 
that like more Nordic in a way than many Nordics, Nordic clubs that I've sort of went into. And I mean, because it was because it was when when did this um, when were you playing this? Because it looked like it was played what a few months ago, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, a few few months ago, yeah. So um, it was. It comes across as a very you know, very physical and uh, experience because, of course, uh, from the photos, like there's plenty of snow. Uh, you're carrying heavy backpacks and 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 replica weapons, and I'm sure you know people as they get injured or are dead um, are being you know carried away uh, or carried to the next checkpoint. So that level of physicality again adds to that level of immersion. Um, but I mean, the reason why I say I compare it to battle re- reenactment is simply because, again, in that you've you've actually got proper weapons and you've got proper clothing, and, it's, and there's a there's a railroading because obviously you're reenacting something. So at some point you are told, you know, this is what happens to you. So just play out to to the audience. Obviously, normally battle reenactment's done to an audience, but um, but here we were sort of acting out to be sort of creating drama for the others, and I yes, I, exactly, I, yeah. Technique because sometimes in labs you feel that some people there's so much to do in some games. Maybe you have you're all the time stuck with one plot, so you don't play the plot that you were supposed to play with another character. In this way, you sort of you play out with all the sort of characters you were supposed to play. So when it says you need to talk about ask how this per- character feels about this thing, and you go there, and it was very good because it you know it's for the drama. You know mm. you do those things, and I felt like it was sort of a very sort of um. You know, sometimes you would feel like somebody comes to talk to you, like, oh, this must have been, you know, in your diary because you're coming to ask right in this right moment this specific thing. And it actually, you know, it didn't feel in any way sort of um, too artificial. Yeah. And it was sort of a railroad to create more sort of a drama and it sort of, it didn't feel too forced. So, but they, you know, they run the game many times. They've corrected it many times. So it's, it was very polished sort of a whole, whole experience. Um, <laughs> Something you said about that one, and, and is a, is maybe a running theme with with LARPs of that kind, and of course Nordic LARPs is is the type of preparation going into the game and the workshops. So uh, I always use as a as a, a as a basis of like I look at it and go oh, that look amazing is um a, a LARP that was called I think it was called System Denmark or System Denmark, which was a a LARP experience that that um was to represent a post uh, a dystopian society and they set up a, yeah. a camp in shipping containers in the middle of I can't remember which city and the whole experience was designed and the workshop was also they could they could replicate this this dystopian society to the very bottom rungs of of society with a, a, a very you know dealing with aggressive encounters and bartering and trade and so forth and at the end, having to watch a uh, a, a, a video, a, a a documentary of of what it's what it means to be homeless in Denmark, and how it's interesting how LARPs like that, both with the workshops to set you up so you can play through the experience and be guided through the experience, so that it, it's also kind of a a learning a, a learning experience, and there's some sort of take home kind of message at the end. And that's that's what we did when we went to Czech Republic. We sort of uh, the first day we took a few free days, so we went to the museum and we went to see the Legion part of the museum. So we were actually reading and seeing the costumes that we were going to wear, you know, the next day, and we were sort of prepping ourselves for that. And then we went to the game, and uh, and of course after that came also they showed us a video about Legion a little bit there. And the next day we went to see sort of a, a different kind of uh, 
museums and you sort of you get this sort of whole you know, like that the whole thing the story now and I sort of is more, far more real you know you sort of experience like really a piece of like that history in that sense and when you do the whole trip to you know abroad it's really nice if you can actually go to the museum you can see what they're talking about and you can see the whole stuff there being real mm-hmm. so when you go to a lab it's sort of an yeah it, it can be very educational and I think Nordic labs are quite often they are very political and they sort of aim to give you something something that you know can stay with you forever so they can be very tough and they can tackle very serious you know themes and it's not just entertainment as I understand in America it's quite sort of entertaining the labs are sort of a fun thing to do <laughs> Nordic clubs they always you know aim to be fun right it's okay is there any... quite often yeah I was gonna ask uh, Matt is there anything else you want to expand on that one uh, no not really you think uh, you Okay, um, I think that's all a pretty good lead-up to then we can talk in a lot more detail then about the end-of-line uh, LARP. So, Tia, as you said, you played a Ventru, which meant that you were the only Ventru at the event, and also you had you had certain powers like Fortitude and Dominate, and there were certain ways that those powers were expressed. Um, so, I guess, do you want to... I know this is mostly going to be they're, they're wanting to replicate this at the uh, Grand Masquerade. So I guess at this point, people that want to go take part at, at end of line at Grand Masquerade should mostly not listen to the show anymore at this point because it could be massive spoilers. It's going to be changed a lot. They are going to yeah. change. I got a, I asked, am, am I able? To, can I speak freely about the game? And they said, yeah. So they organized. Okay. Said that it's fine to talk about it and. So I guess just run us through, you know, uh, how the how how the whole play experience was. So you know, you get sent your character, the, the the outline of the character you're playing, and then how you progressed from from that point to you know arriving at the event and how the uh, the game played out. <laughs> so yeah, I think it began it begins with sort of um uh, writing down your sort of a sign up where you say your limits to the game because this game. Obviously, it was quite clear that it's going to be an audit game, so there is going to be, you know, it's going to be like, like you know, the whole sort of a physical side, and so they're asking you how far you go, or what kind of game do you want, and and I uh, said actually, like, give me everything you got. So I I wrote, I want experience, you know, as hardcore as I can, and then I got the character, and uh, you know, I was first, I had like no idea, you know, we didn't. The players of vampires wouldn't know how much vampires there would be. Nobody would really know who's a vampire. You wouldn't know anyone. You would know a few core groups. You had like three groups you belong to. You had, you know, you might know a few if that somebody's a ghoul or vampire, but that wasn't the whole sort of. You wouldn't know everybody. So then I, you know, and what was very funny for me that was that I did not know that I was the only venture until the last evening. When so uh, we got sort of a, the last email, the vampire mm-hmm. player. And it was there mentioned that there is only one, which was very good because I would have been so stressed out to play the only one in the game if I knew that before. So then we would go to this um, the game site, and I actually went there the day before to help the organizers to clean up the place. And it was this abandoned sort of a part of a mental hospital in Helsinki, really looking good-looking place. And there had been obviously all sorts of people staying there, so it was in a really horrible condition. We had to clean it up really well, but it was cool because you know it was 
quite destroyed in a good way. And so uh, it was very, well, I hope that next time they will do very, very good workshops. And especially if it's going to be run in America, because we had very little workshopping there to do. So we had a lot of information before the game. So basically you found everything there, but it was very strict schedule. And uh, yeah, then we were just thrown to the game site and, 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 and uh, it started from the dance floor. So there was this very brilliant idea that we had 15 minute rave. So for 15 minutes we would dance on the dance floor. And the dance floor would be a place that we would always return to. If you had nothing else to do, you go to the dance floor back. So there would always be people, and if you didn't have anything to do, you would sort of scout for people in the dance floor. Like, you know, you can create a game and you can sort of invite people to your game in a way. There was very, very good sort of a very simple mechanics to sort of not get bored or go sit down somewhere alone, but all the time, you know, to go into the activity because it was a very, very short game. I think it was like six hours. So okay. very intense and very fast, fast-paced game. And, and yeah, my character was... Uh, was a adventure vampire who sort of um who wanted to sort of get to know a bit of the scene in Helsinki. So she she basically didn't go there with any goals. She just you know she sort of understood you know the younger vampires and wanted to be a bit more I don't know a hippie I would say. So she had you know a younger vampire to show her around and then of course during the game things happened and you know it wasn't that simple and you had to do politics and and then partying. Okay. Um, so, as you already mentioned, so so the dominate discipline was essentially very quick, off the cuff kind of commands. The way that was, you would demonstrate you had that power, the arm around the neck, just to say you are definitely doing what I'm saying. Um, how did fortitude did fortitude ever come up for your character? Was I uh, I imagine possibly not with the event, but it depends, I guess, on how if other. It, the same character if it was dished out to someone else, they could have easily got into some sort of confrontation with someone. So I guess fortitude is kind of a nice get out of jail free card in a fight, is it? Because can't be can't be killed essentially. Yes, yes. My brawl skills were pretty much zero. So right. <laughs> and I had a bodyguard there. And I, when I heard that my character will have a bodyguard, then I knew that there is risk that I will, you know, get myself killed during the game because nobody's gonna like my character in there. But the fortitude was told for me uh, that sort of um in the because the violence escalated you know in three phases so there was like three acts in a way okay. so in the first there was no killing and in the second one there was sort of more violent than the third act you know there were, you know you could kill someone so it sort of it was faced very well and uh, for me it was sort of said that you know if in the you know in the first two phases if somebody tries I don't have to sort of react to the violence or I can sort of you know, come up faster. But no, he didn't come up and nobody was being violent to me and it was quite a surprise that I actually managed to survive survive the game. I was pretty sure I was going to get killed. So I think that's an interesting point then. So what were the rules behind or what was the, the mechanisms or the way that, you know, fights and, fights and encounters would be, uh, um, how would they be played out? Like how how were they dealt with? Was it simply again based between par uh, players to decide who who would win in that encounter, or also based on what disciplines they had, or um, or was it some other method? Uh, brawl. Now, if I'm not, if I'm completely remembering right, I think brawl was sort of we had a point. So you had like a fraction of your brawling skills, and you would have uh, like five points your character's sheet you would see. And I had brawl, for example, one. So if there would be 
a situation. I think it was sort of the, you could in slow motion sort of you could act out a scene of the fighting scene, but in the end you have to tell the other player like show your finger like how what is your brawling skills and the one who has okay. would win. And if there was a group fight, you would count which one has the bigger you know skills in that. And that is that is how you know fighting. But I think you know still you know you're expected to act out a little if you want. But if you don't want to fight, then you can just say what your skills are and, and go there. Okay, so it was again. So it's it's always highest high. Whoever's got the highest, and then it's up to you in a to play it out if you want to, and if you do, you do it in a, I guess in a in a a slow a, a slow motion physicality as possible to, to portray it without hurting someone obviously. And of course, players are quite encouraged to sort of you know you know discuss you know if you know it's your friend then you know you know their limits. And yeah, yeah. Then there's the tapping mechanism, which was very important in this game, that you could sort of tap out. You know, if somebody would sort of, even the slow motion can feel very, you know, aggressive to some. So you could always sort of tap somebody on the shoulder, like, let's not go further, let's, you know, slow down. So you could always sort of have, that was this, because safe words and safe mechanisms are very, you know, important thing in Nordic clubs because we can do stuff very, it's very hardcore. So you have to have a safe mechanism. And in this game, we would tap somebody we don't want something to happen or if we want to leave the scene. Okay. So you don't have to do motion fighting if you don't want to. And then I guess as a given that you were playing a vampire, how how did you uh how was it how were you able to ascertain that other people were vampires there? Was there was there any way like, you know, you could recognize <laughs> certain things or was it really up to you vampire players to to reveal your nature to each other? Uh, I think there was this one character that played my character, sort of, um, uh, who was showing my character around, and she came up with this very clever way to find out who was the vampire. So she would sort of, you know, go to the dance floor and hook up with people, and when they would try to suck her neck, she would, you know, haha, you're a vampire. So she would sort of, and I'm going to tell on you. So she was <laughs> trying to lure them, reveal themselves. So she, right. That was very, very clever. So, but it, it was, yeah, it was a bit hard because I had to, at some point, try to, you know, find the other vampires and, you know, had a game with them. And it was tricky. You couldn't know. So you had to sort of talk with people and, you know, hear rumors and ask around. So you had that was part of the game because yeah. you wouldn't know. Okay. And that was fun also. And then I think that brings on to an interesting point about about feeding and, and blood and possibly even making someone a vampire. So, again, I guess it's up to the players again on how much they enact that, and again, tapping out or not is the thing there because, yeah. you know. Yeah, this some... is. Some... So go on, go on. Yeah, many players were sort of the discussion about this because it was before the game that how it's going to happen, the feeding, and how intimate it's going to be. And and you obviously, I was very afraid that I don't want to traumatize anyone if I'm going too far. So I had to trust. The players to tap out. So you and we were told that you know just go you know do whatever you want and trust the other player will tap out. So I think the first time when somebody started you know sucking on my neck doing the hickey there, I was like oh the game is on because people were really going for it like seriously and there was even you know pictures of people having you know hickeys on their necks so really going for that and nobody actually tapped me out at at one any point and. It's a good thing to tap out if you feel you should tap out always, but nobody actually did that to me, and in a way that's why it's you know funny because now the, the game seems just a bit more sort of real because 
there was no, I had no off game sort of moments there. So you would actually, yeah, go for someone's neck and we had little bottles of blood that we would sort of take a piece, you know, drink a little to our mouth and just, just let it out and then, you know, bite and, you know, do that as long as we want. And then, of course, because, you know, that procedure is, you know, told it's, you know, it's better than any sex you'll ever have. So, you know, you could do all the sound effects and, you know, moving and you could, you know, and yeah, people were really playing them. <laughs> so it, it really looked like, it looked like, looked really cool. And, and uh, then if you wanted to sort of, for example, feed a ghoul, because they were always after your blood at some point, they would start begging your blood. So you would put that fake blood, uh, like for example, on your wrist and, you know, you would let them yeah. in there and, and they basically did that. So that's one part I'm thinking, am I sick because of all this neck sucking and no idea. Yeah. Many people have done it before me and... Everyone's only allowed to play in the game if they've had their flu shots. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Matt, have you got any follow-up question on that? Well, no. I mean, my main, I don't know, concern about the LARP was how heavily sexualized it was. At least the the presser made it sound like it was going to be. So, I mean, if it sounds like you, the way you described it, is everyone was very mature about it and tapped out when they were uncomfortable and so I don't know it, it does seem it does seem a little night and day in how from the pictures and how it's described as an, as an event to the the way it was sold because there was the mention that you know there could be you know nudity at the event and and how people would want to interact uh, at a at in a, in a in a sexualized manner um but it actually seems, it sounds like, and it looks like more that just people were there to, A, have a good time dancing to the music, which, again, mm -hmm. was a major facet of this game, of the, the environment, and then, B, participate in these emergent plot lines, not get their cheap thrills, as it were, by doing, by doing uh, more extreme things. Um, is that, I mean, is there anything else, here that you, you would say that you saw that seemed very... That that helped again immerse the game, or or things that you saw where you kind of went, nah, that bit of the game, the way people play it doesn't interest me. I'm gonna carry on doing this thing over here instead. Well, I, actually, I'm still sort of processing the game, and that's what I feel very weird because I'm, I'm I don't have a favorite love. I would say this is sort of a, sort of um one of those dream loves came true because I didn't have any kind of moments really like this because yeah. it was so short and people were going you know, full steam on doing what we were sort of expected to do. So there was no sort of, normally in LARP you might have, you know, a few minutes you're walking around and you start thinking your own thoughts or you start thinking what you would do in the game. But no, you were just doing it. There was no time for thinking, what should I do now or where should I go? You were just, you had, there was no time because you basically had to play it like full on because you were in a club specifically six hours. So there was no sort of, you know, that's why I'm thinking this game has to be one of my favorites because... For me, I didn't have this kind of moments of sort of of you know I'm not gonna play this you know maybe a few times uh, there were because obviously I was part of Camarilla so I had to sort of walk out in some scenes because I didn't want to have I had a lot of agency so I didn't want to hoard too much stuff for myself so at some point it was a huge discussion so I would sort of you know you, you players can have this sort of stuff because obviously many people were coming to my character about you know plot lines. And you know, and I don't want to have all of them. And you want to sort of 
give them to other players. So that's sort of things that they're interesting. But I've kind of, you know, I don't need to do this, and you can have more game from that because I have a lot of this kind of thing coming to me, and I would sneak back to the dance floor for a while. It wasn't a problem. It sounds very much like you're in the position of a vampire elder who really didn't want to deal with everyone's shit. (laughs) After the game, I she was I don't know was they kidding or what, but yeah, she might have been one of the only surviving sort of you know. Ventures in the whole city that that was sort of still unclear to me. I'm not sure, but she was way more powerful actually than I I was told. There was testing in my character. Would I realize actually how how powerful she actually is, and that there wasn't many that high. So, but yeah, it was fun because she was so much you know above everybody else. So I could just sort of option out like ah, your little drug problems they don't interest me in a way. So what other kind of what kind of plots did you find that just emerged out of out of the game that you were involved in. You said there was some political element were involved in and other people playing vampires who had their own goals. So can you just give us a flavor of kind of the, the, the plots that came out of that? Um, yeah, I think the previous one would be this sort of uh, uh, with the situation in the Middle East that would also reflect on the vampires. So I had to sort of do recruiting like sort of a Daesh kind of ISIS kind of recruiting other vampires to get them to go, you know, fight a war in the Middle East, and that was a very very sort of an interesting ad there, and the biggest sort of thing, and we had to sort of you know get the younger vampires and try to speak them to, you know, tell them about you know you know there's no laws, there's no camarilla, there's nothing if you go there and you know do a fighting for us and you know I tried to persuade the younger ones to do that without using dominate. Just trying to talk them to do that, and a little bit of blackmailing, and if I had to, and and there was actually an NPC character who would come to me when the game started and told that they need, I think, five vampires for this. Hmm. I had five. In next hour, he comes and says they need eight vampires, and then he would come a few hours. They need ten, and his point was to sort of screw up with my character and to mess up with me because I was trying to find these vampires there and try to get them to go to, you know, fight me in the Middle East, which, you know, they weren't very keen on to do. But it was very interesting because sort of a plot line that they're using and that I really like that they're taking the real life into this sort of the vampire too, because you wouldn't go unnoticed in a way if you think about it. So that was maybe the biggest sort of thing. Okay. And then the other plot lines that that you were involved in or um, or that people brought to you that you, you wanted to get involved in? Uh, well, then there wasn't bigger ones because I think I didn't really need to because there was a lot of... Basically, if you, if you had a problem, if somebody would come and say there was a problem with some vampire feeding too publicly, they would come to me. So oh, there was, right. Or if, you know, if they the vampires wanted to follow the rules, they would have to obviously come to ask my character's permission to feed because I was went through there. So some came, some didn't, and I could use that as leverage if somebody didn't come. And so there was like a lot of stuff coming to me when people would find out who I was. So I don't think you need to write more stuff for a character like mine. Hmm. There was like one group that she belonged to, and but I didn't even have time to play out everything that there was, and that was fine. So you weren't sort of there were sort of options what you can play. You didn't have to play every single thing you had in your character, and, and yeah. you didn't have time. But uh, sort of... Okay, Matt, have you got any other questions to ask about the the, the general plot and playing a vampire? No. Nope. No? 
Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of some final questions. I'll just check the uh, the um, show notes that we said about various things. They're both about the physicality of the games and the tactile nature of it. I mean, how you tap out of the games. Yeah, um, there were mechanisms to, if you, you know, for example, sex, you had, there's three ways you can do it. You can, you know, discuss the scene, you can say okay. what happened, or you can dry hump somewhere, or you can pretend you're making out. So, there was a lot of you didn't have to you know go all the way and there was yeah. black boxes there's black boxes where you can play out scenes from you know if somebody wanted to play out a scene from the future or in the past you could do that so there was a lot of you know I think for many type of playing styles there was room for all sort of plays I just happened to sort of end up playing with other people who you know choose the same sort of game style that I had so so <laughs> because I didn't the, that, so. I was gonna say with the way the the um the location was used. Were certain rooms set aside for certain types of stories or certain types of plots or or as say for this black boxing then does that that room was then given over so that people could away from the main event itself actually play out these side scenes, is that right? Yeah, there were three rooms. Uh now I don't remember anymore. They I think they had themes, the rooms also, but there was three rooms in which you could go and play out black box scenes. And you could, you know, for example, I know one person who asked two other people to play a black box scene so he could see what how their game is going. He wasn't involved in their game, but he just wanted them to act out a black box scene. Just, you can, so yeah, there were different rooms and then you had room for sort of, um, you know, yeah, there was one room with just a bed there. So basically like a sex room and there was a killing room that was sort of covered with plastic. So if you wanted to have a le- real gore scene with a lot of blood, you could go on there and splatter the blood. And, and then, of course, probably the main sort of how the story evolved is that the lights in the disco sort of part of the area would change. So that now I can't remember them all, but the first one was, uh, I think, it was like a lust and something like this. The color was red. So you knew now we're playing this kind of game. And then it would turn into green and there was sort of an I think it was envy and sort of um damn I don't remember them all and then in the end it would turn to blue and that was sort of power and when conflict would come up so there was sort of a the first was sort of a more fun part the second was when things are being planned and then in the end the color changed and you know now things are going you know all the way and you're gonna do the things right now and people are more sort of aggressive in a way so the lights you know determined a bit where the game is going so the players would know sort of also how to act if they want to. So there was so many things sort of to enhance your play if you if you sort of run out of ideas yourself. Okay. But you didn't so, have to do all of them. They would just sort of guide you through the game. So <laughs> obviously your character only had Dominate, unfortunately. So can you, did you get to witness how other vampire players, how their disciplines operated? So... Well, I, there was also this sort of... Um, I had... I had sort of a um, few, I think these are like personal traits. So there was like adaptability, generosity, entitlement. And they were also with these five dots, sort of like my entitlement was four. So I was really, really into that. So that was also telling you how the character acts. But generosity was four. So I would be very generous if somebody wanted my blood. I was like, sure, sure, you can have my blood. And then the mechanics, yeah. you ha- I had presence, of course, and I had few lines that I could use my presence in but then there was of course I had to do something to get that presence so I had to for example my character had to uh, fade on loving or angry bard in the last two hours to use my discipline 
Oh, of so course. So I couldn't just use so there was a rule on that too, and I had to drink this specific type of blood to be yeah. able to use. But I don't know. I have no idea what the others. Right. Okay. And that's was. that's interesting. The the whole the disciplines being were fueled off the the type of person that you fed upon. Um, that was very good because it meant that if I saw somebody fighting somewhere, uh, there was fight. I wasn't interested in what they were fighting. I was just looking who's very angry now because I could get very good blood from there. Or it yeah, people think... lovable, so it sort of makes you, it gives you those vampire feelings because you're just after the blood. I think, Matt, this this is where maybe it, it seems very changeling like, you know, from, from changing the dreaming or changing the loss. But I think within the environment of a LARP game, it, it mostly helps mediate how much a player can abuse their disciplines because, like, you can't, you're not. You, you can't just use it for nothing. You've got to, you've got to do mm. the right triggers to get it, and and to get those triggers, you know, you, you've got to be involved in other people's plots yeah. or to yeah, right. Like to get I that. was mentioning, we were discussing this earlier this week that it it's both prescriptive and restrictive. Like it forces you to interact and to create those kinds of scenes and to advance the LARP as a whole and create conflict, create drama, create situations where people can interact. I think we mentioned that it probably wouldn't work that well in a tabletop setting, but for a LARP it sounds perfect. Yeah, go on. Yeah, there was another mechanic also. This was the scent. You heard about this? So there was three (laughs) scents. Yes, though, it doesn't stop here. So the players could choose uh, anyone, even the vampires could take these. There was three sort of scents smells that you would put a little on your neck and your wrist, and those would tell the vampire players what if their blood was good. So one scent would tell, like, this blood isn't very good, and the other one would tell, this is really good, and the third one, this is so good, I have to tell everybody about this person because, you know, their blood is so good. So there was smell. <laughs> it didn't... I have very bad sense of smell, so I couldn't really... <laughs> but in the first 15 minutes of dancing, and everybody was smelling around me, and it was really like, you know, bloodless kicking, you're just smelling people, like, oh, man, that, that person, oh, God, that smells good, and... That was very good, sort of, I think, immersing in a vampire because so many things were making you just think about the blood all the time. So, that's, yeah. That's pretty wicked. That's, that's <laughs> very yeah. cool. Um, yeah, it's, it all seems, I guess, it all, all the, the mechanisms for how all of this works is all very much, I guess, the best way to describe it is nudge mechanics. They're all things, you get something for doing something that's mostly going to hinder you or, or, or involve initiating actual story it's not just you know i just activate my power and it just i get what i want and it doesn't actually progress the plot other than progressing your own it's all involves nudging people to interact so that then you get some return um this whole idea of your set you it involves you setting up scenes or being involved in to then carry on so you can do more scenes um excellent um is there anything more to say about End of Line? Is there anything extra that you can think of that we've not asked questions about? Uh, I don't I don't know, but I think you definitely should try it if you have the chance. Just do it because it's a really it's a really really good lab. I'm, uh, I'm still very very baffled that I actually got to do a lab like this. And yeah, uh, you need Matt, to try it. <laughs> have you got any any last questions or anything that you think we haven't covered? No, no. So I think. We'll call it an end there with with this interview. I think we've covered a lot, and I think, as Tia said, she's mostly still processing the entire LARP event uh, in her uh, 
ill state with a cold or or the flu or whatever. So that mostly makes it even also, more surreal. Also, it's a vampire because you never know. Yes. Um, did did anyone get turned into a vampire when you were there? Did anyone actual anyone's character get changed? I think quite a few. Yeah, I think that was, oh, right. was very clearly stated. I think people were quite somebody. Some people didn't know how to do it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. There were vampires being born. Okay. Um, so I think at that point we'll draw this interview close. Um, so Tia, do you want to? So you've got some links we'll put in the show notes. So you can be contacted on Facebook and on Instagram for your artwork, which is very yeah. good artwork, by the way. Um, so do you want to just give us the, the names for the links that we should be looking for there? Oh, yeah. I, I use um, <clears throat> my artistic name. Uh, so Eva Carolina is, uh, I don't know how you can spot it, but that's how I'm in Instagram and in Facebook. But if you can get li- links, so probably easier to find through those. Yep. It's a very common name, I think. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, we'll include those in the show notes uh, so people can find your um, artwork there. Uh, and uh, Matt, I guess the only thing to end on then is, uh, I guess, if people want to contact us, they can get to us on uh, at uh, radio at gmail.com. Uh, they can contact us on Twitter with uh, at darkerdaysradio. We're on Facebook, we're on Google+, we have a blog, which is mainly Toy Soldiers, that's my fault, um, and we have a Tumblr that we do sometimes update, where you can also listen to the show, uh, and as I said, uh, we previously just recorded um, our interview with the guys from By Night Studios, covering their Vampire the Masquerade Mind's Eye Theatre lot, and talking about Werewolf, the uh, the Apocalypse, and all their plan for Grand Masquerade, uh, and... Ooh, uh, let's think what else we've and got. The White Wolf is doing another lab with the... Yes, of course. Yes, let's not forget those. So um, upcoming is this year in Poland, held in a wonderful looking uh, castle, is the Convention of Thorns. So again, we'll include a link to that. And that means you get to participate in one of the one of the important historical events of the Vampire the Masquerade setting and the formation uh, I can't remember the full details of the uh, Convention of Thorns off the top of my head Matt can you fill us in what the hell happened at Convention of Thorns my brain's not screwed in on that one what? Convention of Thorns I don't know Oh, you can't remember. Oh, okay. I think it's about the formation of the Camarilla but I can't remember yeah. someone's going to say no to yeah. me No, I think, I think yeah that is. So that's set around about the 1400s, 1500s. Uh, we also have upcoming, of course, at Grand Masquerade in New Orleans, they will be rerunning the end-of-line uh, Nordic LARP event. And then next year is the Berlin by Night uh, Nordic mm-hmm. event, a Nordic style LARP event. Again, uh, that might actually take place across a number of venues, what I'm reading. Um that one I'm interested in because A, I can get there, and B, it's not as expensive as the uh, Convention of Thorns, and C, it's not in New Orleans. I don't have uh, flight issues getting to there as well because that's expensive. Um, so we will plug all the link- links for those into the uh, show notes for this. Have I missed anything? Matt is quiet. You can't <laughs> think I've missed Surely you've not missed anything, have I? I don't believe so. And then next show, uh, we are interviewing, well, mostly be out by the time I post this one, 
uh, is um, our interview with uh, Tomas Pirinen and Andy Chambers, who are both uh, legends of wargaming and game design. Uh, so that's going to be an interesting show. So um, thank you, Tia, for uh, telling us all about Nordic LARP. And oh, that's just scratching the surface. I'm sure it's just, yeah, as you say, scratching the surface then. But at least it's, it's a good introduction, and I think... Uh, I think you covered all the interesting points about how end of line worked and uh, and the type of experience it was. And I think coupled with the uh, the photos from the event, I think it paints a a better picture than I think the initial PR kind of mm. sold it as. Uh, and so it's, it seems like an event that I would actually be quite in. And they might tour with the love. I think you can still ask them to do the love in your city. You can sort of sign up for that and, you know, make them to come to you and sort of, I think there is a possibility that they would run, the, you know, okay. in countries. Yeah, yeah, I think they will sort of, you know, if you want to have the game there, just try to make them make the game there. Cool. Um, I think that covers everything then. So, yeah, thank you, Tia. And Matt, thank you again for uh, <laughs> sticking around and helping me uh, ask some probing questions. Um, and that is everything. So, good night.